Uh, and then the new economy companies who have built European headquarters, you know, the, the, the Netflixes, Amazons, uh, uh, Googles, uh, Ubers, uh, R&B and B uh, of this world, none of them has chosen Switzerland as a European headquarter. And that should really, you know, make us worry that this is not the place that it was 10, 15 years ago. Welcome to Aperture, a podcast where we highlight the people who are thinking and doing things differently. Our goal is to expose new ideas, to challenge received wisdom and to open up debate. We cover strategy, technology, business models, and much more. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and also check out our other content at aperturehub.co. Thank you for listening. For episode two of Aperture, we're on tour and we're in Zurich. We're at the offices of the Swiss American Chamber of Commerce and we're discussing multinational corporations in Switzerland. Specifically, we're discussing their importance as an engine of economic growth and prosperity and the key role they play as a bedrock of innovation and productivity. The question we'll be discussing is whether Switzerland is losing competitiveness in both attracting and retaining these multinational companies. And to discuss this topic, we are with Martin Neville, who is CEO of the Swiss American Chamber of Commerce. Martin, please could we start by you telling us about your background, your mission for this organization, and also why you are so interested in this topic of multinational corporations? Well, Ben, welcome to Zurich, the capital (laughs) of business world in Switzerland. Uh, so my background is is, uh, is slightly convoluted. I'm, I'm a lawyer by training, and then I was a corporate banker with J.P. Morgan in uh, Zurich in New York. And then I went to Boston Consulting Group, a strategy firm in Munich, Zurich, New York, Zurich uh, for, for 16 years. And I've been now doing this work for 15 years. Okay. Um, so what are we doing? We are a private association, totally funded by members, so no money from either government. And we have two big topics. One is improve the, re- the business relationship between Switzerland and America, anything that impedes the free flow of goods, services, investment of people. And the second one is improve location Switzerland for multinational companies, multinational companies meaning large and small companies, Swiss and foreign, and improving the, lo- the business location. So A, the companies come here, and two, they stay here. They provide a lot of tax revenue. They create a lot of innovation strength, a lot of jobs. And also, you know, they help us in the social security system, which I will uh, start collecting in five years. <laughs> okay. And um, how do you define an, a multinational corporation? Is, is, it, is it just one that operates in more than one country? Yeah, so first of all, it's very important. A multinational company has nothing to do with size. It's two different segmentation. You have large companies, small companies, but then you have domestic and multinational. So you have a lot of small multinational companies. And multinational companies, for our reports, we defined as cumulatively more than 25% of employees overseas or outside Switzerland, which is a proxy for direct investment, plus at least 25% of the sales outside Switzerland. So it needs both. It needs export and it needs foreign direct investment in other countries to be a multinational, according to our definition. This is really your specialist subject, isn't it? Because I think before we started the podcast, I think you told me you've personally written 11 reports on this subject. Why, why are you so passionate about this topic? Yeah, I think that's what, what really makes Switzerland. Uh, 
one-third is multinational, two-thirds of our uh, gross domestic product is domestic. We need both. Yeah. If we only have the domestic, we will be Belgium or Portugal. We'd like to be richer, well, we need something on top. And this one thing on top is the multinational environment, uh, multinational companies who bring in uh, a lot of investment, a lot of very talented people, and make something more than what Switzerland would be just by having a, a, a domestic economy. Uh, why am I really passionate? Because I like Switzerland and I'd like to leave Switzerland you know, in, in such a good shape also for my two sons who are now uh, 21 and 24. And so Switzerland should be a great place for the next 40 years, hopefully. That's a, a very worthy course. Um, and so I'm just um, referring here. So um, for our listeners, I'm, I'm holding up a page from the latest report that Martin has written, which is called uh, Wake Up Switzerland. And we will share a link to this report. Uh, on our on our Twitter channel for those of you that, that want to read it, I would very much encourage that you read it. But this particular graphic here shows just the outsized impact, the disproportionate impact that multinationals have on the Swiss economy. Martin, would you mind just talking us through some of these numbers, and I can I can pass the report to you if you okay. Martin's indicating that he knows these numbers from by heart. So, okay, go ahead. Yeah, yes, indeed. I mean, the you know there is this myth that multinational companies are just here to save taxes and they have no resources and they don't really provide anything, which is totally wrong. Uh, multinational companies is only four percent if you count companies. So the number of companies is four percent. Yep. It's twenty six percent of the jobs. It's thirty six percent. So more than a, a third of the gross domestic product. And they provide nearly half of the corporate taxes. This is about $6 billion per year. So they really provide a lot. And that's purely quantitatively and then qualitatively in terms of innovation and strength and competitiveness. It's, it's totally overdimensioned, uh, the, the, the importance that those multinational companies have for Switzerland. Wow. Okay. So it's sort of supersizing the uh, Swiss economy. And these numbers that you quoted, so the 4%, the 26%, the 36%, the 50%, are these um, are these direct impacts, or do these also include the indirect impacts? Because one of the things that that we're very interested in is the extent to which large companies attract and build kind of you know they're like a, like an aircraft carrier for smaller companies because you know because they can fund them because the people that work mm-hmm. there go on to start startups and so on. So those are all direct numbers. So oh, wow. okay. in terms of GDP value creation, it is really a third. If you take secondary effect, now we get on slippery slope. I mean, there are yeah, studies yeah, that to quantify, say, sure. you know, 3.7 jobs for every job, which would make make it more than 100%. Somewhere, probably one one job per uh, for every multinational job, one domestic job, which would, you know, bring you to somewhere around half of the value creation, direct and indirect would be, would be uh, at, you know, due to multinational companies. Uh, but, you know, the, 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 the indirect effect is always a very slippery one because yeah. if you count all the indirect effects, we come to 300% total. So we like to have the direct effect, and that's really the, the very strong numbers that we have here. Yeah, it's not as if you can't demonstrate categorically the, the importance, right, no. using the direct numbers. But I guess because it's so important to attract multinational corporations, there is, uh, by extension, so much competition to attract these multinational corporations. And, I mean, why it's difficult to make an argument against attracting them because the, the, the impact is so large. Is it not a risky strategy? Because these companies, and then you say this yourself in your report, these companies are very mobile in the sense that they could quickly shift uh, part of their base on their entire base somewhere else, depending on you know, multiple factors. So is it not a risky strategy to try to attract these 
corporations here because they could at any point leave and in the same way a virtuous circle is virtuous for as long as it's virtuous when it goes into reverse it can be quite nasty well we can be mediocre and then we don't take those companies and then we're belgium or portugal or we'd like to be better and then we need to you know work very hard and as long as we do the thing right there's no reason to leave uh, if we don't do the things right then clearly we have a risk of losing them but i mean i'd rather have them and risk losing them than not have them here in switzerland yeah a bit like it's better to have loved and lost right Correct. It's like in tennis. I mean, you know, Federer can easily play, you know, say uh, number 100 is fine and I don't need to train so hard. And if you want to become number one, you have to go on court every day. And that's, I think, what Switzerland needs to do is to go on court and train every day. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll get into a, bit, a few more of the numbers later. But I mean, it's, it's fair to say that Switzerland is a very, still a very, very attractive place to, uh, to have a multinational. And, it, and, it's, and I, I'm looking at another table here from your report. In terms of global headquarters, uh, in the period 2009 to 2018, it, it has a 33% market share if you, in Europe, right? So it's, it's doing well. Global headquarters uh, in Europe, but yeah. then we only get 23% on regional headquarters. We have 26% RD center, and on operational center, we only get 5%. Okay. And so, you know, overall, it's not, it's, if, if we had 33%, I would say great, but uh, this is only re, uh, global headquarters, and that's also because we have a lot of Swiss global headquarters. Uh, clearly, on some other things, we are much weaker. So Switzerland is uh, objectively a is a very good place to to put a, a global headquarters. It attracts a large number of global headquarters. But to get to the heart of your report, we the country, this country, we cannot be complacent, right? Because um, I think you said right. in the report that it's dropped from number one globally as as a, as as most attractive country for multinationals i think to number three in europe it? yes in europe number three in europe in europe behind the netherlands and behind ireland and what do you what do you attribute that to why why is it losing attractiveness so first of all as i started the question you know i think we're still doing fine but yep. fine is not good enough for what we would like to attain um in uh, there is a lot of remaining strength that will always be here and it's like a glacier you know it was, we'll have a lot of ice but it's still it's melting relatively fast and we have to stop it quickly um we still have our strengths but clearly the incertitude uh 10 15 years ago we're clearly number one i mean yeah. no company relocated into europe or within europe without having switzerland on the short list if you look back now the last four or eight years clearly we lost in a lot of places so around 40 companies have decided to leave uh, the uk because of brexit yeah none of the 40 chose switzerland and now for banks it's evident that you cannot come to switzerland because of passporting yeah so they went to luxembourg or frankfurt but for all the non-banks sony and panasonic for example is no reason why they shouldn't come to switzerland same for asian companies 29 chinese companies have decided to put their european headquarters somewhere in europe uh, one only, but a very small one, went to Geneva. Uh, and then the new economy companies who have built European headquarters, you know, the, the, the Netflixes, Amazons, uh, uh, Googles, uh, Ubers, uh, R&B&B uh, of this world, none of them has chosen Switzerland as a European headquarter. And that should really, you know, make us worry that this is not the place that it was 10, 15 years ago. So we can, we can see that companies are choosing elsewhere. But, but why? I mean, because naturally I would have said, you know, not being in the European Union was important. Mm -hmm. But as you said, outside of banking, that's not so critical. No. And for Asian companies, why are they not selecting? Because uh, Switzerland's always had a very strong relationship with, or always, it has a very strong relationship with China. It has a bilateral mm -hmm. trade agreement with China. Why don't these 
companies locate here? Well, you know, there's always, for every company and every segment of the industry, there are different reasons. Uh, but clearly, some of the biggest strengths of Switzerland, which was openness to talent, which was low taxes and very stable taxes and very predictable taxes and political predictability, uh, all those things have eroded. We're still okay, but they have eroded massively. I mean, on taxes now, luckily, the, the, the vote on May 19th on the, on the federal tax level has been positive, but that was very unclear a year ago. Yeah. Uh, we have very unclear situation with the EU on the framework agreement. We have very unclear, uh, a very unclear situation uh, regarding some obligation of companies. Uh, we have a vote coming up in a year on the corporate responsibility initiative, which would make Swiss companies much more liable for anything that might happen within their value chain uh, than, than, most other, than most other places. We have clear uncertainty about availability of talent in Switzerland. We will have a vote in, in probably 15 months uh, that might uh, uh, stop the free movement of people agreement with the EU, which would basically then also crumble the rest of the bilaterals. So there's a lot of uncertainty in very, very important sectors. And then we kept the, the negatives that we've had for a long time, which is you know uh, salaries, uh, uh, the, the level of salaries and the, yeah. and the cost here, which were always negative, and, but you know it was balanced before. And now in some very important pillars of our strength, uh, there's been a, an erosion, certainly an uncertainty. Is this going to go, and go on? And if you invest, you have a, a seven to ten year perspective. And clearly, you know, Switzerland ten years ago gave gave you a secure seven to ten year perspective. Today, it does not. Yeah. So if we just pick up some of those themes in turn, if we come to uh, to the availability of talent, for example. Um, so, you, so I remember back in 2014, there was a vote here to put quotas on EU migration. Correct. And and the vote that you said is taking place, I think you said it's in 18 months' time. Is that is that related to that vote back in 2014? It, it's a bit related. It's not, okay. it's not the same, but it is related. Okay. And um, to play devil's advocate for a second, right? So it seemed to me, and that was, it almost seemed like that was a sort of mini Brexit moment, right? The, uh, the 2014 mm -hmm. referendum, where the people sort of said, you know, we, we don't necessarily agree with the way that society is changing and so on. And there is a very large number of foreign-born um, people living in Switzerland. And I suppose, to, be dev to play devil's advocate for a second, for how long can Switzerland continue to, to absorb very high levels of immigration without maybe uh, damaging or negatively affecting sort of social cohesion and so on? Because that would be what people, I guess, would play back, which is mm -hmm. if these multinationals need a constant flow of, of immigration, is, can that be good long-term for, for Switzerland and, and social cohesion? No. So, so first, starting 2014 was a mini-mini Brexit because mini, know, mini it was, it was yeah. an initiative that added a, a line on our constitution, which then went in, into parliament. In a way, parliament. it's a presage bre Brexit for me because yeah. it was yeah, but, somewhere you know, as stable as this. Afterwards, but, yeah. parliament yeah. brought around a solution which was feasible. The next one, that's yep. not only mini-Brexits, that's really Swiss exit. Uh, the one next year, if yep. we fail that one, we're in the same position as Brexit. And wh uh, what did the polls, I suppose it's too early to have polls? Oh, there is no polls yet. I mean, this is, you know, this is four or five votes away. Uh, yeah. So there's no polls until like two months before. But, uh, you know, asking your question, I mean, what's really important, I mean, Switzerland today has 25% non-born. Yeah. Uh, so foreign-born people in Switzerland, which is a lot. Yep. In which clearly in a, in a direct democracy might create some problems. And so I think it's very, very important to start segmenting 
the foreign workforce is there are you know three type of workforces if you look at it from a not social but from an economic point of view you have the refugees you yeah. have those who just come here because they want to earn more or something you know yeah. the economic migrants economic yeah. migrants and then you have the high value migrants yeah. and in our report we showed that the high value migrants through multinational companies is only four even less than four percent of net migration and i think we have to start figuring out is we are probably politically socially uh, and and you know from a, from a voters point of view we cannot go from 25 to 30 or 35 but we should start segmenting and you know make very clear that we want those who create value for switzerland so it's a bit swiss first uh, you know switzerland yes. first strategy but uh, but you know that, that's that's not bad i mean we have a tradition of taking in immigrants and to taking in uh, refugees through the we have we're the switzerland is the protector of the human rights convention but still i think we have to make very clear this is a competition out there. We are competing not only against Ireland and, and the Netherlands. We're competing against Dubai. We're competing against Singapore. Uh, we're competing against the U.S. And, and the U.K. And you know, the U.K. might have a bit be a bit in a doldrum at the moment, but I mean, they will come back. And there are many other countries which really, really fight for a to good companies and two for talent. Yeah. And so we have to fight for those talents, and we have to make sure we're not complacent. We need them, and. You know, we cannot just add on and add on and on. So maybe we have to be a bit more selective uh, in what type of people we, we get into Switzerland. Many countries have done it. I mean, there is, you know, a scoring system with, you know, different points for different quality in Canada, in the Netherlands, in, uh, in, in Holland, uh, in, uh, in Australia. Yeah. So it wouldn't be the first. And, you know, I think Switzerland has to start, you know, that's the title is, you know, wake up Switzerland is we need to go out and compete. We're still good. My analogy is, you know, when, when uh, Federer, you know, suddenly discovered his number 17 on the ranking, he could have said 17 is not bad, have a final farewell tour and then, you know, relax. <laughs> yeah. And he said, no, I want to be number one again. And so he went back on court and trained and that's what Switzerland needs to do. And in terms of, so the other things you mentioned, with taxation was one thing. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of ha- what's happened with taxation uh, has been sort of externally imposed on Switzerland, right? Because the European Union, the US have said that you can't have, you can't make deals with individual companies. Is that, I think you said it yourself, right? The, 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 the uh, vote on the 19th of May mm-hmm. has now given way to, a, a, I think, a more stable, low-rate uh, tax in federal tax rate in Switzerland. So is that problem now largely resolved? Is is taxation something that you aren't losing sleep mm-hmm. over anymore as a result? So let's quickly go back. I mean, Switzerland was never one of the really low, low, low tax yeah. countries. And also Paradise Paper and the Luxembourg Papers and all those things, Switzerland didn't really appear. We were always slightly higher than others, but we were competitive. And tax is only just the cost of, of the product and the product being, you know, political stability and the yeah. talents and everything. And so we were always, we had a great product and we weren't the cheapest, but we were competitive. Yeah. The, the, the way to be competitive was ring fencing the foreign revenue and, and giving them a priority over domestic uh, revenue. And this is what the EU and then the OECD said, we're not accepting this. You know, you can put the tax rate wherever you like, but all the revenue has to be taxed the same way. Uh, this is why we had to change this. Uh, now, as the taxes came out, I think we are sleeping a lot better. But it's not done because now it needs to be implemented in every canton. And especially on sep- probably September 1, the canton of Zurich will vote on this. And so we still have another hurdle to, to climb. But the very strong result on May 19th on the federal tax you know, gives us some good hope that this will also turn right with the cantons. And then Switzerland, again, is competitive 
We have other places that are that will be a lot cheaper, uh, but we will be competitive, and especially we are in line with the with the rules of OECD and the, and, uh, and and the EU, and uh, and so we are safe from any kind of grey or blacklist. And so, uh, if we are then implemented in every canton, I will sleep well over it. And what about you said so, and you talk about this a lot in your report too, which is certainty over the regulatory environment. And you just mentioned something that I wasn't aware of, which is. Um, a piece of legislation that might come in that might create a, a bigger liability for companies based mm-hmm. here. So what's happening with the regulatory environment, you know, the Minda report, all these kinds of things? You, you, I guess your view is that it's it's become more negative. And is it is that still the case or is it changing course slightly? Is it becoming slightly more favorable? How, how do you feel about the regulatory environment? And look, five, six, seven years ago, remember I've been on the job for 15 years, so I yeah. get some, some leeway on this. Um, <laughs> I would say until five, six, seven years ago, we, you know, th- there were a lot of votes that were slightly, uh, you know, slightly yeah. or strongly against business, um, and we we always told the companies, don't worry, you know, this is direct democracy. In the end, it's going to come out right, which we mostly was correct. And then we had a few accidents: the Minder, uh, the the mass immigration, the tax, and some others, which you suddenly start going, mm, you know, and. I think the business environment was a bit complacent. You know, things yeah. come out right. And I think we need to stop the complacency. I think on the tax vote in, on May 19th, preparing for that complacency was n- not, or at least not really around. People started to work really hard to make sure that this is going the right way. Okay. And so what we have to make sure is on all those things is we're not complacent. We have to explain the case to the people. Because it's complicated to understand how multinational company works and what it brings to Switzerland, yep. and then and then we have to make you know sh- sure that the case is really heard everywhere and that we're fighting for the right result. We cannot just expect you know people to understand how this works. They have to get it's a message that you have to explain. You cannot just expect people to really learn about this uh, on their own. So you're saying that was probably the lesson from the 2014 vote, for example, which was. The big, the business community, the most important business stakeholders, didn't really come out. Because I was living here at that mm-hmm. point, and it seemed to me that they did not come out in in advance of that vote and argue in in, in favor of of mm-hmm. of not you know of, of keeping the status quo. Right? That's sort of the lessons we learned from the Minda vote, from the mass immigration vote, from the tax vote. Unfortunately, we had to learn it many times before people really learned what what this is all about. And I think it's a lot better now, but it's still. There's still uh, a serious case of complacency out there. Why the title, you know... Yes, yeah, I was going to say that. So they haven't woken up yet. It's still, you know, there are too many people who think that Switzerland is the best place in the world and, you know, who laugh and say, well, where, where should they go? Ha ha. And do not understand enough that this is really a competition out there. And we have not overperformed uh, in the last four, eight years. Uh, we have lost some of our of our skills and some stamina, and so we have to get it back. And that's now the moment to get it back before it gets really bad, and then it's too late because then we don't have the resources or the strengths to do it again. So it, it seems that Switzerland's done uh, particularly poorly, um, you know, relative to other countries, in attracting two two um, really important uh, constituents. Right, the first one is is tech companies, mm-hmm. and the second one is Chinese companies. I think you alluded to both earlier. Are they exactly the same factors for both of those companies, or do they are they slightly different? No, I think I mean the, the the common factor is basically people out there, you know, selling 
business location, Switzerland, to other companies outside, I mean, they do a marketing job. Yeah, they have a great product, but they have to explain it. The Swiss product is much more complicated than the Dutch or the Irish product because, you know, we have direct democracy, we have initiatives, we have uh, we don't have a head of state, we have uh, cantons yeah. who are very very strong. I mean, it's a very complex set. How does Switzerland work? And so we need people out there to sell it and especially to the new tech companies who are not used to, you know, to this European environment and also to Chinese companies who are not. And we do a poor job selling this. We have, you know, too few people on the ground. Uh, we have about 50 people around the world selling Switzerland. The Dutch have about 100. The Irish have about 250. And the Singaporeans have about 700 people. So if well, even why, if you... Why is that? Because uh, uh, I guess, you know, this is why your reports could wake up Switzerland. But it seems crazy, right? Given the numbers you quoted earlier about the, you know, the, the disproportionate impact of multinationals, that you wouldn't have a much bigger team than 50 people trying to attract and retain those companies within these... <laughs> within these borders we're, we were too successful for the last 20 years uh, it's really it's too easy uh, I have uh, the CEO of Logitech who is on my board said very simply the only thing he fears is success because everybody becomes complacent and I think yep. that's exactly what it is you know people feel we don't have to sell everybody knows Switzerland everybody knows how good we are we don't really need to, to, to sell Switzerland well, the Dutch, they reacted to Brexit, and, uh, you know, yes, through 50 people in England, and they went to see every CEO, every yeah. CEO. The Singaporeans come and visit all the tech and, I mean, all the, the life science and R&D companies in Switzerland t twice, three times a year. They come around with Nobel Prize winners and, and, and ministers of the, uh, of the government, and they come and, you know, sell Singapore to Swiss companies. And this is a competition, and we have to, you know, up our game. I'm going to refer to the same graphic. Uh, it's Exhibit Five, page twenty-one from the report. So this, so this is uh, looking at ten-year period here at um, how Switzerland's faring versus other European nations, so uh, Ireland, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, and the UK. And what it shows is this: Switzerland is losing market share in most areas, except R&D centres. And there's another. Uh, I think it's on the previous or the page after where you say that. In terms of industrial segments, it's losing market share in consumer, financial, industrial, IT and communications. It's not a very rosy picture, but it is gaining market share in, in life sciences. So uh, I suppose the question is, is it not just developing a deeper cluster around life sciences and a deeper cluster around R&D excellence? And can it not um, to use the sort of the engine analysis, uh, analogy, can it not operate very successfully and grow nicely and continue to have you know, very, very outsized performance from multinationals based on two engines, which is life sciences and R&D centers? Does it need well, the others? It needs bigger. We lost a lot of market share. We had 27% market share 10 years ago. We don't have 19 market. So we lost eight points or a third of our market share. Uh, and so it, it's not enough. I think it's a great success. I mean, life science, you know, especially right in the Basel area, but in a very large Basel area, it goes, it goes throughout Switzerland. And also R&D, especially stemming from our two technological universities, ETH and EPFL in Zurich and Lausanne, which are in the top 10 in the yeah. world, uh, less known than some others like MIT and Berkeley, but they play in the, same, in the same league. And I think those two clusters of strength, which is 
you know, having two of the largest pharma companies in the same city, creating a, an unbelievable cluster with a lot of large, smaller uh, startup companies, a lot of innovation strength. And the, the clusters around those two universities really make a, a fantastic success factor for sports. It's just not enough. If we want to stay where we are, we need more. And this is why we have to do more to attract other companies. Yeah. And then um, in your report, you talk about uh, STEM Science, technology, engineering, and math. Thank you. Um, so, so, um, so what you're saying is Switzerland produces lots and lots of engineers, but less or fewer high-quality graduates in other areas. Is that, is, is that, oh, that we don't have enough engineers either. Okay. I mean, engineers is the E of the STEM. Yes. Uh, we don't have enough engineers either. I mean, they, 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 I mean, first of all, we don't have enough people, period. Yep. We have, if you look at, you know, uh, as a proxy for globalization, you take global fortune 500 companies per million inhabitant. We have three to five times more than all our competitors. So we need, you know, we need additional people to keep those large companies here. Uh, second, we have an underproportional choice by our gener young generation to go into those so-called hard sciences. Um, and so, you know, one, we have to uh, increase the, uh, the, the attractiveness of those, of those sectors, but that's not, certainly not going to be enough again because we have too many large multinational pharma uh, engineering companies. And so we will always need, um, you know, talent, uh, highly qualified talent from, from outside. Okay. And so, but one of your proposals was to expand the um, the intake at some of the some of the universities here, right? Yes, correct. Especially on the STEM side. Yeah. Okay. And uh, and then you know also make it more attractive to to study in STEM, uh, especially for foreigners and you know in in, in those in those hard hard uh, hard sciences maybe to give them a green card like they do in the US. Like, uh, yeah, because uh, at the moment they they don't get to stay. Is that right? Unless no, they I mean they have. I don't remember exactly. We're just looking at the details. Right? Six yeah. months, and if they don't have a good job after six months, they are out. Which so you're saying you graduate from a Swiss university in a, in, a, in in STEM, and you get automatically a well a, a permit C or B. We're or, working yeah. on this now. This is going to be the deep dive on 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 this. How do we attract and how do we keep the the the, the foreign talent? And how do we make it palatable for you know the, the people around them to make them understand that they're really creating a lot of value? A, you know, they they create the tax, they pay taxes, they you know make it an innovation hub in Switzerland, and they pay my social security and everybody else's social security, but also extremely important to in, for the long term increase of innovation and competitive global competitiveness. It's very important to get those talents yeah. if they come here. It's great for Switzerland. If they go somewhere else, it's a double whammy because they're not in Switzerland, but they are in, you know, the Netherlands or in Singapore or in Dubai. Yeah. No, and you can see it. So on, uh, um, on the in preparation for this podcast, we looked at what sectors of the economy are growing much faster than the others, and it's all of the sectors in which multinationals are present. So this is, you know, correct. Um, anyway, so w what I want to do next was actually refer to a couple of your previous reports, and so um, the, uh, you had a report that was from 2012. And it was called Growth Engine at Risk. And it looked at the cantons of Geneva and Vaux and, and, the, and the impact right. of multinationals on uh, those two cantons. And so, so I have a few questions in relation to that, into, to that report. The first one was, in that report, you said that, um, that you know, if, if, if um, multinationals have a disproportionate impact on the economy in general, mm -hmm. it's even more disproportionate when you look at the cantons of Geneva and Vaux. And so I think in, back in 2010, they were contributing 43% of uh, GDP in Geneva versus 36% nationally and 41% in Vaux versus 36% nationally. How is, is Geneva, or how are Geneva and Vaux faring 
um, in the intervening years, so since 2012. Because my impression living in Geneva is multinationals are leaving Geneva. Is that, is that correct? Or is that just an anecdote? There are not many multinational leaving, but many multinational downgrade their presence. They take certain departments and send them to somewhere else because it's cheaper or just as, you know, they do just a good job in Frankfurt or Munich or Paris or somewhere else. I think Geneva and Vaux have had a, mostly a flat development since. We haven't yeah. looked at the numbers in depth. I mean, uh, you know, all those numbers are strong numbers. I mean, the, 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 late, the, the latest report is with McKinsey Company and the, the report you mentioned is a Boston Consulting Group, so the numbers are really strong. We haven't redone the numbers in a very analytical way uh, so probably they'll be the same the, the what happened in the Romandie we had a some so-called Lex Bonnie which was a special tax advantage that ran out um, on the other hand EPFL has created a lot of attraction for tech companies so yeah. probably it's 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 net more or less net yeah. net maybe slightly less but not a lot because what, what nothing about, what, what about banks though because um since the you know the, the impression you get again anecdotally I can't back this up with any sort of you know definitive statistics, but it seems like the the banks in Geneva have downsized, right? Um, and is that is that coming through in the statistics? Is that Not really. A bit okay. yes, because of the banking secrecy, and so some departments which were really specialized on on non declared foreigners uh, has been shifted. And I mean, banks all over the, all over the world are are downgrading because yeah. of uh, you know automation, artificial intelligence, all the good things. Uh, the margin are, are coming down. But I think the Geneva, the G, you know, the 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 Geneva Vaux region has not suffered over proportionally others. Okay. Good. Uh, the second question was, in the recommendations of that report, you state very clearly that th these two cantons need a strategy for attracting interna internationalizing Asian multinational corporations. Based on what we discussed earlier, which is only one company has come here in the last four years. Into Geneva. <laughs> but I guess that, what you would argue is that strategy was not put in place. No, that strategy was not put in place. Uh, again, I mean, there, there was a lot of complacency. Uh, it was also, I mean, when we, we explained this in the report, it's not easy because yeah. there are two things. One is, uh, especially Chinese companies, you know, they go where Chinese clusters are, and we didn't have any. Yeah. And second, it, this whole strategy depends on having one, you know, light tower, you know, a very famous company that decides to come to Switzerland. Uh, there were a few tries, uh, you know, if you get if you get Alibaba to come uh, with a European headquarters and everybody else will follow. Um, you know, the, it's really this light tower that was missing. And so probably not putting enough effort, but also it's a difficult one. I mean, it yep. was uh, something we need to try. Uh, we failed. We could have tried harder, uh, but, uh, but, but clearly it would have been attractive. And then, um, and then uh, the obvious question is, that report was called Growth Engine at Risk. The, the subsequent report looking at the, 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 you know, the broader nation state is called Wake Up Switzerland. So it's like you're stepping up the rhetoric, right? The, and is that because you feel that your previous calls to action just haven't been heeded? And, and, or, or is the situation deteriorating or do you just... You just I mean, A, the situation has clearly deteriorated. You know, in the, in, in the report we did uh, six years ago, Switzerland didn't lose market share yet. But it was clear that, you know, somehow some momentum is missing and yes. there's some complacency around. Now we are a bit further down the line. But I think, you know, it should not be alarmist. I mean, wake up Switzerland is not, you know, you know avoid, avoid being killed. It's just, you know, now is the time to start going back on court and train. 
Yeah. Uh, so I, I wouldn't say this is more alarmist than the other. I mean, we said at risk, and I would just say Switzerland, wake up. Um, I mean, the trick is always to get a title that attracts the reader a bit. You know, yeah, well, it, yeah, not got, a, got my eyeballs. Uh, sure, yeah. So not having an academic title that you know there's three line. Uh, yeah. But you know, I, I would say we're a bit further down the line after the the various you know votes that clearly went against business. There has been some additional uh, you know doubts. Is Switzerland really business friendly? Uh, with the extremely strong effort, especially in Netherlands and Ireland and some other countries. Uh, we have lost some some of our shoot spies, uh, uh, you know, some of our uh, edge in yeah. competitiveness, uh, but we're still okay. You know, we just have to. This is now time to wake up. Let's okay. get rid of complacency. Last year, you published a report, and this one was looking at airports. And I think the point you're making in that report was there's growing demand for for um, the aviation, and the capacity isn't increasing. How important a factor is that in? for multinationals in choosing to to base themselves here? Well, it's a very important factor. I mean, there's every analysis shows that most headquarters go where there are a lot of direct uh, direct uh, combination, I mean, direct flights. Uh, so airports are very important, but just not for multinationals. It's for yeah. art and science and education and sports and everything. You need a very efficient uh, airport system. And the title of, the, of this thing is uh, Flying Blind After 2030, uh, because you know, the, in, uh, at least in Switzerland, but in many places around the world, you you plan roads and and and, and railroads, uh, thirty, forty, fifty years out. Uh, here, we all know that the system is already creaking. Uh, there is a growth of one and a half, two percent per year, uh, which you know in the next twelve uh, twelve years translates into some twenty to twenty five percent growth. Uh, and there's no plan. After yeah. 2030, the system is totally full and will not accept any additional capacity. And planning cycles in airports, and not just the Zurich airport, all airports, planning cycle are somewhere between 20 and 30 years. So we're already 10 years behind. And so everybody knows there's this wall, but just politically it's very unsavory to address this capacity problem and so people don't. And so this is, we're trying, uh, it's another wake-up call uh, on, on the airport system because that's really quite stark. Without going too deep on um, airports, but isn't the, isn't the part of the problem that the I don't know which it seems the, probably the two biggest airports are Zurich and Geneva? Is that right? Oh, it's Zurich, 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 and then it's Geneva and then Basel. Okay, okay, <laughs> thank you. Um, but in both cases, so Zurich, 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 and Geneva, uh, all four cases, the capacity is constrained by 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 German airspace and and France. Is that not sound okay? A bit, but it's also on you know your 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 rules. When can you fly? So Zurich, you know, after, you don't you don't land before six o'clock in the morning. You yeah. know, Frankfurt and, and especially London, Luxembourg, they fly twenty four hours. So it's it's the rules how you fly, what what are the capacities. So because of a very complicated airport system in Zurich, you know, it, the best capacities are about sixty six movements per hour. Uh, we, should, we would need 80 to 90. Uh, and so it is constrained physically. It's constrained by rules. It's constrained by German and, and France, Germany and France. So it's constrained by a lot of things. And this is why solutions are extremely complicated. And this is why planning is 20, yeah, 30 okay. years. Uh, but but the, the, the most important thing is in Switzerland, there's one hub, which is Zurich, where you know a lot of people fly in to fly out direct flights, yeah. which allow for a lot of direct flights. And then Geneva and, and Basel are, are point to point. Yeah. Uh, so it's not pejorative to say Zurich, 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 and then yeah. and then Geneva, because a lot of the flying out of Geneva also, you know, has has ver- is very important for for the entire system in uh, around Zurich, uh, and so it, it, we looked at the whole thing in Switzerland. 
because it's really one ecosystem. You know, London has has many airports. They're much farther apart than Zurich, Basel, and Geneva. And it's we call them, you know, Hampstead and, and Heathrow. We call them, you know, airports in London. And so this is basically airports in Switzerland. Is is much is is really one system. Swiss quality of life. It's um it's a bit of a double edged sword, isn't it? And I and I and I uh, so because what I read in your report is. It's it's the quality of life here attracts people, but then but then they never want to leave, and they don't even want to move within Switzerland. And that's I think um, speaking for somebody, where this is the case, right? I moved here with one employer, and now I really don't want to leave. <laughs> and so, how do you how do you overcome that? How do you um, how do you get how do you introduce geographical mobility into Switzerland? So I think first of all, it's not a problem; it's really a, a strength because yeah, people so want to come and they want to stay. It's just great. Yeah. for foreign talent uh long term it is negative because especially you know swiss talent we would need to move them around the world because uh, we are a very international uh, uh country and so it, the future leaders should have a lot of international experience yeah and that's a bit of an issue but i don't know how to solve this we're just the quality of life around here is just too good uh <laughs> I left at 20 because I thought it was boring. I, had, I came back at 36 because I had to, because of my employer. I was the first Swiss partner at Boston Consulting Group. Told them five years, and then I, I, I picked my, my spot, and you know I came here and I dis- rediscovered Switzerland. And this is a fantastic place. I mean, why would you ever want to live here? Yeah. And so you know, it, clearly, it's, this quality of life is great to attract talent. Um, maybe for talent mobility, it has a drawdown, a drawback. You know, most ying has a yang. So that's. Uh, I think we can live with that with that problem. So you you can't just answer this question by the way, saying more multinational corporations. But the question is, um, what would be your recommendations if you have any for creating a better ecosystem for the for the startup uh, startups in Switzerland? Because there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast work in in startups, and. Do you have any recommendations for fostering that ecosystem beyond just having more multinational corporations, which clearly feed them in terms of funding yeah. and people and, and so on? I think that's the two things. Is one is you need to create the cluster, and the cluster, at the center of the cluster, you always find some you know leading edge companies yeah. from the world, and that's normally large multinationals. And then second, I think it's an understanding in politics for everything, for working permits, for taxes, for uh, regulation, for reports, for whatever that a startup is something very different. And I think in, in Zug, in the so-called crypto valley, yeah. very badly named yeah. because it's the blockchain valley, um, there the canton of Zug and the Swiss Federation have done some very interesting things. It's like a banking, uh, allowing fintech to work in, in finance without a banking license as long as they're really, really small. And then be able to move to a light, uh, to a banking license light before they really need a full banking license. Um, same thing on you know taxation of uh, the capital. So if you are a startup and then you get into the second round of financing and then uh, you know suddenly your stake you have no money but your stake is suddenly ten million and you have to pay you know wealth tax on this. Uh, there should be a lot of rules for 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 startups. I think Switzerland has been doing a lot of progress on this one in the last five to ten years, uh, but still we need more and we need a better understanding in in. In, in, in politics and in, in the political administration of the specificities of uh, of startups in all in all in the whole sector around uh, legal legal and tax yeah and the um, just to just to speak a bit more about about Zug and the crypto valley it seems that the the government or the local government maybe was very pragmatic in that situation 
why do you think that was? Why do you think that is an exception to some of the, um, you know, to some of the complacency you've been talking about? You know, I think the Canton of Zug is just doing some things really right because okay. they are small and they really understand. I mean, you know, there's no hesitation who's bringing in the money in the Canton of Zug. Also, for most voters, it's it's very evident that this is the large multinationals. And so there's a better alignment, you think, between the different stakeholders of population? Much business. better alignment. Yeah. Uh, great government. Uh, and, you know, it, it, but, but at the end of the day, it's also, it's it's there, it's in Zug, because there's a lot of, of, uh, of, uh, of trading companies there. Uh, there's a lot of foreigners, uh, foreign companies there, you know, who are looking for the next next best mousetrap, and so it's not a coincidence that this thing is in Zug near the ETH, but in a in a in a separate in a separate uh, environment. So I, I hope, you know, this is still small. This is three thousand employees yeah. total. Uh, it is a, a great. I mean, the whole valley is a startup, if you'd like. Yeah. Uh, and so we hope that this could be a bit of a, of a lesson for everybody else. But it's always easier to get really excited about a small thing that grows than a large thing that should, you know, grow. Uh, but you know, it's it's less discernible. And so this is a great example. Uh, again, I think in R and D, Switzerland is doing really well. Uh, in some other sectors, it's a little less. In in R and D, um, it seems that the, the the government plays an important role, but perhaps not. Does does the government do enough sort of foundational R and D in your view? No. No, clearly not. But it's also not the Swiss system. I mean, the Swiss system is, you know, the government sets the framework conditions and then companies should thrive. Yeah. And so if you look at R&D, and again, we're, you know, the multinational companies, uh, we have a lot, lo- uh, much hard, la- higher percentage of private R&D than most other, you know, most other company, uh, countries around the OECD. And of this 80% is by the eight, eight, lar- uh, eight or nine largest companies, 80%. And so it's really the large companies who fund R&D by startups. Yeah. And so you then get the whole startup scene around this, uh, and then you have to let them work, and you should have government stay out of the way because you know having somebody in government decide what is the better technology, A or B, it's never going to work. So again, it comes back to multinational corporations. It comes back yeah. to multinational <laughs> corporations. Uh, and then um, just one more question, which is on um, venture capital in Switzerland. So the, the um, something we're interested in, and the, the numbers are getting better I think there was something like a thirty, some five percent growth, or whatever, last year in in venture capital. But relative to most other developed nations, it's still very small on a per capita level. Uh, absolute terms, it's you know it's dwarfed by Israel, by by the US, by the UK. Do you think there's a a governmental role in channeling more um, capital into venture capital? So for, first of all, I mean, take Israel out of your list because that's really government money hmm? in Israel. It's very strongly directed by government. And otherwise, I mean, it's just you named two very, very large economies. Yeah. We are small. And so, you know, by capita and everything, you know, we are very, very forward and very, very advanced. But if you look at absolute numbers, I mean, it's a lot smaller. And so if you're if you're venture capital, it's much easier to work you know, in some of the hotspots in America where you have you know, dozens of companies which will become unicorn getting to one billion soon. Uh, Switzerland has a much smaller environment. And so I think government cannot do a lot. I mean, there is some some techno technical stuff from taxes and some other permissions and stuff. But but overall, you know, I, I think we will always have to live with the fact that uh, our venture capital will be less in absolute terms than you know, the U.S. or the U.K. OK. You know, I think it's much more important to have, you know, quote unquote lions than unicorns, right? The, these top of the food chain companies, multinationals. Um, okay, so we don't want to leave this podcast on a negative note. So we want to leave this, leave people feeling 
not complacent, but we want them to leave feeling relatively upbeat. So, um, could you? Can we finish by you just making the case for if you're a multinational corporation, why you should put your headquarters here or your regional headquarters or your R and D center or your operational center or your financial holdings? So the all the categories that you have on page twenty one. That's correct. A, it's a great place. Once you get explained that we are, you know, we have a political system that is very, very different from other uh, countries, which if you don't understand it, you, it leads to insecurity. The system is fantastic. I mean, we don't change government every six months. We don't do Brexit. We don't do, uh, we don't have a government that comes in and says, you know, we will change everything. Our executive government has had the same four parties for the last, you know, 80 years. Uh, we have the ultimate grand coalition, so we're extremely stable. Two, this is really very welcoming for foreigners here. We have 25%. We are the only country in the world where most of the large Swiss multinational companies are led by foreigners. Try this in France, try this in Japan, try this somewhere else. Yep. Uh, so we're very welcoming uh, for, for talent. I mean, people want to come to Switzerland. I mean, this is why Google has now 2,500 people here, because the Zooglers, as they're, as they're called, they want to come to Switzerland. Quality of life, the whole environment... Uh, so we have enormously to offer to companies. Uh, taxation is competitive. Yes, costs are high, but you know, you look at productivity. We don't do strikes. Um, our br our bridges don't break down, and we don't exchange government every five six months. So I think we have enormously to offer. And so the report is in no way to say this is bad. It is looking you know over the over the horizon and say, well, guys, you know, we're still great, but other people do it really well. So we have to up upgrade our game. But it's still a fantastic place. I mean, I think the, the quality of life, but also the intellectual quality of life here is just fantastic. And so for great talents to come here is easy. And, you know, at the end of the day, every multinational that relocates needs to bring the great talents. And so, you know, if you put one somewhere in Siberia or in Switzerland, I mean, one the talents want to come and the other talents don't want to come. And so... It's really all, about, all around the people, the talent, the quality of life, and everything else has to be competitive, and I think that is. Brilliant. Okay, so just to uh, remind you, we'll, we'll tweet out the links to the all the reports we mentioned, the three reports we mentioned. And Martin, thank you very much indeed for your time. Thank you. That was great. Ben, great. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you.